Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com And we are recording. We're recording on a very, very cold day on the east end of Long Island. What global warming, as they say. <laughs> well, so. there's a reason it's called global warming and not where you happen to be standing at the moment warming. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all about us and where we're standing. So. Hi, everyone. How are you guys? Good. Good. Chili. Good. Chili, yeah. So, I think I'm uh, going to make chili. That's a really good idea. That's a very good idea. Do you make a a spicy chili? Not too spicy anymore. Yeah. (laughs) The older I get, the less spicy it becomes. Yeah, I get that. I understand. Totally understand. So that's Bill Sutton's voice that you're hearing. Hey, Bill. Hey, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And the other voice that you hear is Brendan O'Reilly. Hey, Brendan. Hi, I'm Brendan. I'm the deputy managing editor. And I'm Annette Hinkle, and I'm the Arts and Living Editor of the Express News Group. And today we're going to talk about um, the housing market and what's been going on on the East End as far as trends and what we're seeing um, given the last two years of volatility, given uh, COVID and other factors. So also joining us today is Jonathan Miller, and he's the President and CEO of Miller Samuel Real Estate Appraisers and Consultants. Hey, Jonathan, how are you? Uh, living the dream, staying warm in uh, very cold Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> What's your wind chill today? Just curious. Uh, I don't know what the wind chill is, but it's 17 right now, and it's uh-huh. going to go to minus, minus three by the morning, <laughs> which is the Connecticut I signed up for. Yeah, well, not to rub it in, but I'm down in Charleston, South Carolina right now. avoiding, <laughs> And we're like whining because it's 55 and raining here. Right, so. of course. <laughs> <laughs> if I was up in Connecticut and it was 55 and raining, I'd probably put my bathing suit on and go to the beach. So. <laughs> Understood. Thank you for joining us. So we're talking about the real estate market today and what's been happening in recent years. So Brendan, do you want to set us up with what we've been seeing? I know that this is really something that you're quite up on and um, some of the trends that have been occurring in the last several months and how they maybe compare to previous cycles in the last uh, couple of years here. So as we've talked about ad nauseum on the East End is that COVID led to this burst in interest in second homes, vacation homes. Um, There was even some people that were getting rid of their place in Manhattan and moving to the East End full time because they could work remotely and they were renting where they lived. So why bother renewing a lease for a place that they're not going to stay in? Though there were still others that kept both because they knew that eventually they would return to New York. So there was this burst of interest. We went from a 2019 that was not horrible, but it was slow. It wasn't very exciting. Um, And what I had been speaking to people in the industry about for a while, uh, basically right up until the pandemic started, was the sellers have aspirational prices And they need to come down on price because they're locked in thinking they're owed 
these amazing prices from the year before or two years before, and that's what they should get for their house. And the sellers are always locked into what the old market is. They always think that if it was high, it must still be high. If my house isn't selling, it's got to be my agent's fault. And what the agents are saying is, no, you priced your house too high. You either picked a number out of the air that was never achievable, or you're trying to get a price that is reflective of a market that's already 12 or 24 minutes old by now, and you have to sell your house at today's price. So that was the story for a long time. Then the pandemic starts. As soon as New York got shut down in March, 2020, there was a deluge of phone calls of people asking for rentals in the Hamptons. There were stories of people got in the car and started to drive east and said, find me a rental. With a packed car. Yeah. Yeah. So people were renting sight unseen. They were renting places they never would have considered before. You know, if it was available to them, yeah, they wanted a big space. They wanted outdoor space. They wanted a pool. Those people were rushing. Some of them said, just get me into something until Memorial Day, because maybe they already had something lined up from Memorial Day to Labor Day and they wanted something sooner. Or maybe they called and said, hey, I know I was supposed to show up July 4th. Do you mind if I show up April 1st or something? So I'm sorry, Brendan, was this more like 2020 or 2021? This is 2020. That you know, that okay. was the narrative of March 2020 in those months where rentals got gobbled up. People were fleeing. They were nervous. They didn't want to be in the city. Yeah. Understandably. Mm-hmm. Once all those rentals got gobbled up, there were people who were not immediately considering buying a house in the Hamptons. A lot of them were the people who would have eventually. Maybe they're three or four years into a Wall Street career, and maybe it's around year five or six where many of them would have bought a house. Well, now that they're all trying to get out to the Hamptons all at once, and all of the rentals have been taken up or the prices are just outrageous, what did they do? They turned into buyers. They bought houses a lot earlier than they would have. And Mm -hmm. Jonathan Miller uses the expression borrowing from the future, where due to circumstances, rather than a hundred units selling every year, one year sells 300 units, and then the next two years don't look as good. Why? Because we borrowed from the future. The activity got shifted forward. So in 2020, sales were off the charts. Prices went off the charts. In 2021, sales were off the charts. Prices were off the charts. In 2022, we started to see a cool down, but it wasn't all because of that borrowing from the future. It wasn't all because of a lack of interest. It was because of a lack of inventory in large part. You went from a market where there was uh, over 2,000 houses available for sale to a market where there was less than 1,000 houses available for sale. And of those less than 1,000 houses, half of them or more than half of them might have been with price tags of more than $4 million. So what was for sale had different price points and a different makeup of what was for sale in that 2,000 batch. So if you're somebody who has a budget up to 2 million, even if you hear that there's 800 listings from Remsenburg to Montauk, it doesn't mean that there's 800 listings you could even hope to afford. But in 2022, we also had a lot of things that created uncertainty, fear of a recession. We had inflation, we had rising interest rates, we had a war in Ukraine start that for a little bit, people were saying that this looks like it's gonna start World War III. So these are the events that cause people to pause. 
I don't know at this point if everybody is unpaused, but it's hard to unpause when the listing inventory is as low as it is. So I'm looking at the 2022 10-year uh, comparison chart, and we're seeing 2022 on your chart having the least number of sales in a decade while having the all-time high median sales price for the Hamptons market. I don't know if any of that has to do with the fact that the county was hacked and they weren't able to record deeds like they normally would, or if that hacking issue is not reflected in the data. Yeah, first of all, I don't think the hacking, although we put a disclaimer in uh, the last couple of quarterly reports uh, saying that may have an impact, but um, uh, we're, we're getting the information from multiple sources outside of the county as well, um, which we always have. So I'm not that concerned about sort of damaging the trends that um, that have occurred. I mean, I think the big the big issue at, and and actually the most overriding issue um on this housing cycle, and I always hate people that say this time it's different, but this time it's different, <laughs> is, is that uh, inventory is the key metric across the United States right now in terms of uh, why we're not expecting some kind of price correction with the doubling of mortgage rates over the last year. And the reason is, and this is national, Hamptons is not unique in this aspect, is the 40 plus housing markets I cover across the U.S. are all seeing the same thing. They're seeing a chronic lack of supply. And and it goes with this idea that people are uh, highly or are wedded or connected to the low mortgage rate they may have enjoyed from a purchaser or refi in the last three or four years. That bond will ease over time. Um, but it is the reason why we're not seeing prices correct. And in fact, uh, in some parts of the country or just in the suburbs, you know, around New York City, we're seeing uh, not as much in the Hamptons, but we're seeing 25% of the transactions still having bidding wars. So it's no surprise that we have record prices or high prices uh, because, you know, it's, it's, Yes, doubling of rates is slowing down volume, but inventory is remaining so low that prices don't have the ability to uh, correct uh, or to fall significantly, uh, which makes us different. So does inventory being low also have to do with just the backlog of um, getting materials to build new houses? Um, just wondering if that's a limiting factor at all? Uh, that was a limiting factor in the fall, uh, but uh, a lot of the supply chain issues with housing, um, I'm not saying they're normal, but have dramatically improved. Um, and, um, and inflation itself, although lumber is rebounding again, but uh, inflation itself um, is largely, beat, has been beaten by the Fed and, and um, uh, with their rate policy pivot a year ago. Um, but uh, we're looking at maybe by the end of the first quarter or sometime in the spring, that inflation is largely a non-issue. So I'm not 
I, I don't, I'm not blaming uh, a supply chain anymore on uh, high prices like we went through because it's the same thing with existing housing as it is with new construction. When you, when you talk about price correction, you're, you're talking about the level of prices that homes are selling. You're not talking about a decrease in home values. There's a distinction there, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, and, and home home values, I think, are determined by sales, but but people won't see a decrease in the value of their home. Not not really. I, you know, uh, when you have, uh, you know, when a buyer has very few options. I mean, I I uh, this is why I'm not a sales agent. I think because I call 2023 the year of disappointment <laughs> um, uh, because sellers aren't going to get the price they wanted in 2021 and buyers aren't going to get meaningful discounts, you know, so everybody's not happy. Um, uh, so, you know, so in, in some ways I find that like confirmation that we're normalizing because both parties are, not happy about the state of the market hmm. both sides rather and i don't know if this is something that you follow but i also wonder if the buyers out on the east end of long island tend to do more cash deals and don't really have a concern about how how high the interest rates are getting because they're not planning on using um, a loan so the short answer to that is no uh i don't think uh the high volume of cash buyers um reduces exposure to mortgage rates and this is why and so for example i cover over almost two dozen housing markets in florida and they're 60 percent cash buyers every market like it, it's it predominantly cash and they're seeing the same thing um the uh the idea is the way i think of it it's super simplistic but as you as you go lower in price, there's, and we see this with Manhattan cash data, um, the lower you go in price, the um, the more uh, dependent purchasers are on mortgage rates, right? Um, they have less probability they're paying with cash. And as you go higher in price, it's a higher probability they pay with cash. They, they pay with cash. However, when you look at the volatility on the, in the financial markets, that's all been impacted by Fed policy. So if you're not looking at it from the context of, um, uh, you know, I need it to afford this payment, and you're looking at it as, hey, this impacts all the other things that I do, um, I, I sort of downplay uh, that as an advantage. I'm not saying it's a disadvantage or anything. I'm just saying it's maybe not as big a factor as it's chalked up to be. Interesting. Although maybe you get into more bidding wars too with cash. You know, like usually it seems home buyers are much more happy to take a cash offer than someone who's looking for financing. Well, well, one of the problems with the high end market is it's a lot higher to price. Uh, so, you know, cause the projects are less homogenous. Uh, so, uh, so, so in a tight inventory environment, sure, there's that, that potential, but, um, pre pandemic, uh, uh, you know, we saw periods where, you know, low end was super tight. So, uh, so yeah, it ebbs and flows to the market as, as opposed to sort of a general statement, that the high end sees more bidding wars. Yeah. 
I think we they catch our attention because they're so big. You know, we're talking such big yeah. sort of monopoly money um, dollars. <laughs> you know that that it's not real. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Cordoraro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks is brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books. Independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sac Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. They buy books, collections, libraries, individual titles. Very easy process. They handle everything. Do you have books to sell? Call or email today or visit SouthamptonSacHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations, including office positions. You know, Jonathan, I just reported recently on a sale where I think the original asking price had been 60 million. Over a couple of years, they marked it down to 40 million. And then they finally just sold it for not even 35 million. So at some point in history, somebody thought that $35 million or less house was worth 60. Yeah. Boy, did they get that wrong. Absolutely. <laughs> But I could think of many examples. Yeah, and actually, uh, in the Hamptons, I think, you know, I came up, uh, I claim I came up with the phrase aspirational pricing. Um, and uh, although I never trademarked it, I'm not going to make any money off of it. Uh, but I always try to come up with these sort of uh, phrases that depict market conditions. And uh, aspirational pricing was out of control in the Hamptons where it was not uncommon to see someone buy something for 10 million, put a couple million into it and put it on for 28. Um, you know, that was very common. And then what happened was that their peers um, were all doing the same. And so everybody's looking at each other and saying, you know, Hey, you know, I got a bold face name mentioned in a newspaper uh, because I have a, $35 million listing in the Hamptons. It's been on for a long period of time. And it becomes like this thing, but nothing sells. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, um, and I think a lot of aspirational pricing, you know, has been, it still exists. And, you know, I'm not suggesting it's going away, but I think it's a far smaller uh, force in the market or market psychology uh, in the sort of post-lockdown uh, world than it was pre-pandemic. I don't know if you look at these sorts of trends, but are there fewer rentals available because so many people purchased homes in that 2020 to 2022 period? Um, I So I don't um, specifically cover rentals in the Hamptons, but the anecdotal is absolutely, yes, there are fewer um, because people sold their rentals when the market was frenzied, you know, in 2020. Uh, so I think there's less selection of that. Although I wouldn't be surprised if more come back on, um, hmm. you know, over time. I, but I definitely lower at this point. I, I would wonder if people who had bought up homes that had previously been rentals and are now moving back to the 
to to the city or or to other areas may utilize those as more investment property and and rent them now moving forward. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I totally agree. And I imagine you're probably seeing that same trend up in Connecticut as well. I'm guessing. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. A absolutely. I I actually during the pandemic I moved. Uh, my wife and I moved. We became empty nesters, and we moved further away from Long Island Sound and the water. We used to have a boat and all that, and we moved like up into the hills. <laughs> And uh, my commute's like a half an hour farther to the city, but I'm only going in two days a week. I'm like dressed kind of like a schlub because I was doing stuff outside. Like, you know, it's like, I, you know, out, I'm out in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's a different world. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Although it sounds like the prices in Manhattan are coming back with a vengeance, though. Yeah. yeah I, the way I think of Manhattan is um, the... You know, the outline, you know, when the lockdown happened, and we've probably touched on this in the past, you know, when the lockdown happened, um, you know, there was a sort of, you know, escape from New York, exodus, where the sort of, if you had that on your article, like you would be guaranteed readership, sort of like <laughs> on Wall Street, if you have gold in the headline, um, you know, you're, you're set. Um, but, uh, but what's, you know, what I think is... Um, the way it's playing out is Manhattan was sort of interrupted. It was late to the party uh, by about nine months mm -hmm. because of the vaccine. And, and, you, know, you know, the city was sort of stereotyped as dangerous because of the density. And um, and then the virus, the, the pandemic came out for the virus or the uh, uh, COVID vaccine. And it uh, relieved that sort of concern. And so just as New York was ramping up in terms of activity, the Fed pivoted, and but the suburbs and you know the Hamptons, East End, had already gone through their massive boom. Um, the city was poised to go through, and about halfway through it, it was interrupted, and and that's why inventory in Manhattan, while historically it's not low like the Hamptons is, um, but it's not bloated either. You know, and there's a lot of overpricing, aspirational stuff as you skew higher. That's sort of it's on the market, but it's not in the market, so not that much of a factor. Um, so it's a little tight still in the city, and that means you know there's still bidding wars, um, uh, just like you have. Um, uh, you know, it's it's just a, it's just a weird thing having gone through a bunch of cycles that. When you don't, the, all the rules of thumb, when you think of housing market patterns and the idea that when um, when an external force like, you know, interest rates uh, doubling, uh, slow sales, you immediately expect inventory to pile to the sky, which is what happened during the housing bubble. It didn't happen. And then the next thing you think, what you know, if you ignore what's happened to inventory, you think prices are going to correct in a big way, because sales are down, you know, double digit, you know, big numbers, um, which actually brings me, I'm sorry to go off on the, I'm going off on a tangent here, but I, what amazes me about this cycle, when we look at the Hamptons or any other market, is that the, that the, like the macro take on everything is far more negative than it's actually happening on the ground. And the reason I say that is because when you 
when you think about like year-over-year sales, as Brendan was talking about, you look at year-over-year sales, right? But 2021 was a rocket ship. I mean, you know, sales, I'm making this number up, but like they went up 100% or whatever, some huge number. And then we're comparing now against that. Of course, they fell 40% or 30% or 50%. What you really should do is maybe pay a little bit more to a pension to pre-pandemic because that was pre-sort of roller coaster up and down to get a context of what feels normal or reasonable. Um, but I think that sort of skew is going to go away. You know, we're probably in the next quarter or two, we're not going to care about pre-pandemic anymore. Hi, this is Michael Wright. I'm a reporter for the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and 27East.com. I cover East Hampton Town and follow important stories about the environment, including the coming South Fork Wind Farm, its impact on the fishing industry, and other water quality issues. We follow East Hampton Town and village government, and I'm asking the tough questions and providing you with important answers. My colleagues and I in the editorial department work hard as watchdogs for this community, but we can't do it without our subscribers. If you find the work we're doing valuable to you, please subscribe by visiting 27East.com forward slash subscribe. Thank you very much. I, I When I look at this chart where we see the worst year for sales in a decade, but we see the median price just so much higher than it was in 2017, 2018, 2019. What do we expect for 2023? Does this median price have to come down or is there still room for it to go up? So it depends on whether you think there's going to be an excess number of high-end sales. So, you know, median in and of itself reduces the outliers, right? The super highs and the super lows, right? You get to the middle number. Um, the What was characteristic about the Hamptons housing boom and a big reason why prices, you know, especially in aggregate are higher is that the mix shifted, you know, that for the last year and a half, the market share of five or more million dollar sales is unusually or, you know, at or near record highs every quarter. And so what we're seeing is a, a mix, not just from price appreciation, but just bigger properties, um, more favorable. And the reason for that, in my opinion, is because once the pandemic hit, the lockdown hit rather, and um, the high end of the market just took off, you know, boomed. And we saw this around the U.S. and the lower wage earners are much more economically punished by the conditions of the pandemic. Um, and so we had this greater strength. And guess what? You know, people weren't selling their apartments in Manhattan. You know, sales were down 40 to 50% in the last three quarters of 2020 year over year. They were buying second homes. They were buying homes in the Hamptons, right? Um, and, and, the, and, you know, on top of lack of supply, they were, they were also affluent and they were buying some big stuff. So, so I'm sorry, I got way off on a tangent again, but I, but when I think of what you're asking, Brendan, like, what does it look like? Um, I think uh, that uh, pricing is probably going to move sideways for the next year 
where we don't see much price growth, if any, um, single digit up, single digit down, you know, you know, sort of sort of straddling some sort of moving sideways narrative, um, because I don't think the mix is going to change all that much. And I don't think prices are going to go down all that much. So I think we're kind of looking at a moving sideways scenario going forward at a lower level of volume, but also limited inventory. Yeah, I wonder if, if we're more affected by limited inventory on the East End just because there's very little land left to build new houses, too. I'm curious about how the new house building affects prices and trends, especially in an area like ours, which yeah. is pretty much built out. Yeah, well, all it does is compress. I mean, demand has fewer options to, you know, so, um, yeah, land land is always a challenge. Um, I remember pre-pandemic, like in this sort of soft period of 2018-19, that, um, you know, there was a lot of spec housing that was sitting empty. I mean, like when I thought of the high-end market and the builders, there was just a ton of stuff. And I think part of that was people paused after the uh, the salt tax, you know, January 2018 um, uh, pivot. Um, and we saw a weakness in pricing in 18 and 19. But it was off to the races once the, you know, the Fed pivoted. And, and um, you know, the part I actually never got to was I was just saying that, you know, when you think of remote work, um, uh, think of it as uh, skewed towards more affluent, meaning that the more wealthy or your higher net worth is, the higher the probability that you have greater flexibility in your remote work situation. And that's like a perfect storm for demand for the Hamptons, right? Um, I, I don't think we're gonna we're gonna see the same intensity of you know people just you know, moving out of the city and living full-time in the Hamptons, that was the expectation a couple of years ago. Um, but I still think, you know, the Hamptons, uh, you know, logically it seems that, you know, we're not looking for some kind of correction based on, you know, what what we're seeing with inventory and the way people are thinking about that market. And with the Ham you say the Hamptons market is very similar to what's happened nationwide as far as, you know, are there more new housing starts in other parts of the country, or is that um an issue across the board? No. No, it's it's like that that's throttling down uh new housing starts. Although, you know, for context, when you think of new housing, and I don't have this specific number for the Hamptons, but um, but all the markets in the region the new development new construction segment seems to be 10 to 15 percent of total inventory um and that's about what it is nationally uh closer to 10. um so so when you think of shortage of inventory and you remove new construction you're still talking about 90 85 90 percent of the market is like devoid of supply right um, so it, it tells you that, mm -hmm. in my view, um, even if you doubled new construction in the Hamptons, because you know, and you know, because the land problem was solved or whatever, um, I don't think it would have a meaningful 
impact on the lack of supply. Maybe certainly as you do to the higher end market, but I don't think it's the panacea that, you know, I understand like, hey, build more housing, you bring costs down. Um, but new housing relative to the entire mix is relatively small. So Jonathan, one of the telling things here is that in 2021, the mix of sales, 8% of sales were under half a million dollars. In 2022, only 2.5% of sales were under half a million dollars, which I think probably speaks to two things. One, prices have appreciated a lot. Yep. But two, houses that were under half a million dollars, they all got picked off in 2020 and 2021. So you're not going to see a lot of those houses left. Agreed. At least on the market. The people who own those houses and want to live here and stay here, that it, they're not going to sell them because they have no place else to go. Correct. Right. It, it, like, and this is part of, you know, our early conversation that, that um, yes, part of this is price appreciation. So houses in the nines are selling at one, two, right? I mean, you know, like it goes above that sort of artificial, you know, threshold of $1 million. But um, it also speaks to, because at the same time, you're seeing, you know, um, heavier share at the upper end of the market. And I just think the product mix was skewed by the pandemic and the uh, the the sort of bias towards higher end housing, um, uh, you know, was expanded. Uh, and, you know, the brand of the Hamptons, uh, you know, is like the stereotype is like, you know, huge estates, with a lot of land and that's not the bulk of the market, but um, definitely, definitely this continued sort of drive towards bigger properties or creating bigger properties. We've, we certainly have appraised a lot of them, a lot of this stuff over the, you know, just in the last couple of years, it's mind boggling, um, you know, how big these properties can be. Well, of course, if you know, like the New York Post writes about things going on in the Hamptons, it doesn't matter if it's a split level ranch on a quarter acre, they'll call it a compound. <laughs> right, right. It's certainly a cheaper compound than some of yeah. the ones that we've appraised. Wow. And they also, but, uh, they always call it the Tony Hamptons. Tony. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's kind of like the, or the Silk Stocking District in Manhattan, like, who talks like that? Not in this century anyways. Um, no, no, apparently not. <laughs> well, thank you for bringing us up to date on what's happening in the Tony Hamptons. So. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm always trying to strike the right tone. We need to get you your own real estate show on uh, one of these reality TV stations. I've actually been invited to be on to participate in 12 reality shows over the last uh, 20 years. Wow. I, every, wow. And the first one I was asked to do was right at the financial crisis like Lehman shutting down like all this chaos and that the theme was as an appraiser and I, I have four kids I mean they're all I'm an empty nester now but you know it's like you know in Connecticut struggling to get the kids off to school and then take the train into the city and ruin people's lives <laughs> that, that was the theme because I would I would be appraising things for 30 percent less you know, that oh they bought God. it because you know, the market corrected 30%. Uh, yeah. I guess 10 uh, episodes of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and lots of other ones. And I'll I'll just, 
I don't even know if they would ever, you know, go. But I, I would never, I, I would never go down that that dark path rabbit. ever, ever. <laughs> I'm, I, I am in public a lot, but you know, my personal life, I, I don't do too much sharing. God, uh, anyway. I think that's a good policy in this day and age. So. Yes, I think yeah. so too. Well, thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for coming on. My my pleasure. I really enjoyed the uh, conversation and happy to join you anytime. Yeah, thanks for doing this again, Jonathan. You bet, you bet. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.